0: Chapter 45 of The Mysteries of London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emily Wallace. The Mysteries of London by George Reynolds. Chapter 45 The Fruitless Search. When Richard Markham was precipitated into the hole beneath the stairs by the perfidy of the mummy, He fell with his head against a stone, and became insensible. He lay in this manner for upwards of half an hour, when a current of air which blew steadily upon his face revived him, and he awoke to all the horrors of his situation. He had seen and passed through enough that night to unhinge the strongest mind. The secrets of the accursed den to a subterranean dungeon of which he now lay, The atrocious mysteries revealed by the conversation of the body-snatchers ere they set out on their expedition to shoreditch church the cold corpse of some unfortunate being most inhumanly murdered and all the paraphernalia of a hideous death in the front room of that outpost of hell haunted his imagination and worked him up to a pitch of excitement bordering upon frenzy he felt that if he did not escape from that hole he should dash his head against the wall, or go raving mad. He clenched his fists and struck them against his forehead in an access of despair. And then he endeavored to reason with himself, and to look the perils that beset him in the face. But he could not remain cool, he could not control his agonizing emotions. "'Oh, God!' he exclaimed aloud. "'What have I done to be thus afflicted? What sin have I committed to be thus tortured?' Have I not served thee in word and deed to the best of my ability? Do I not worship, venerate, adore thee? O God, why wilt thou that I should die thus early, and die too so cruel a death? Is there not room on earth enough for a worm like me? Have I not been sufficiently tried, O my God? And in the hour of my deepest, bitterest anguish, did I ever deny thee? Did I repine against thy supreme will? When false men encompassed me to destroy me in the opinion of the world? Hear me, O God! hear me, and let me not die this time. Let me not perish, O Lord, thus miserably. Such was the fervent, heartfelt prayer which Markham breathed to heaven in the agony and despair of his soul. He extended his arms, with his hands clasped together, in the ardour of his appeal, and they encountered an opening in the wall. A ray of hope penetrated to his heart, in which, upon further search, he discovered an aperture sufficiently wide for him to creep through. He exclaimed, O Lord, I thank Thee, Thou hast heard my prayer. Pardon! O pardon my repinings! Forgive me that I dared to question Thy sovereign will. At all risks he determined to pass through the opening, lead whithersoever it might, for he knew that he could scarcely be worse off and he felt a secret influence which prompted him thus to act, and for which he could not wholly account. He crept through the hole in the partition wall, and found himself upon a soft, damp ground. Everything was veiled in the blackest obscurity. He groped about with his hands, and stepped cautiously forward, pausing at every pace. Presently his foot encountered what appeared to be a step to his infinite joy, he ascertained, in another moment, that he was at the bottom of a flight of stone stairs. He ascended them, and came to a door which yielded to his touch. He proceeded slowly and cautiously along a passage, groping his way with his hands, and in a few moments he reached another door, which opened with a latch. He was now in the open street. Carefully closing the door behind him, he hurried away from that accursed vicinity, as if he were pursued by bloodhounds. He ran. He ran reckless of the deep pools of stagnant water, careless of the heaps of thick mud through which he passed, indifferent to the bruises which he sustained against the angles of houses, the corners of streets, and the stone steps of doors, unmindful of the dangers which he dared in threading, thus wildly those rugged and uneven thoroughfares amidst the dense obscurity which covered the earth he ran he ran a delirium of joy thrilling in his brain and thanksgiving in his soul for now that he had escaped from the peril which so lately beset him it appeared to his imagination a thousand times more frightful than when it actually impended over him oh he was happy happy thrice happy in the enjoyment of liberty and the security of life once more, and he began to look upon the scenes of that eventful night as an accumulation of horrors which could have possibility only in a dream. He ran, he ran amidst those filthy lanes and foul streets, where a nauseating atmosphere prevailed, but had he been threading a labyrinth of rose-trees amongst the most delicious perfumes, he could not have experienced a more burning, ardent, furious joy. Yes, his delight was madness, frenzy. On, on, splashed with mud, floundering through black puddles, knee-deep in mire, on, on he went, reckless which direction he pursued, so long as the rapidity of his pace removed him afar from the accursed house that had nearly become his tomb. For an hour did he thus pursue his way, at length he stopped through sheer exhaustion and seated himself upon the steps of a door over which a lamp was flickering he collected his scattered ideas as well as he could and began to wonder whither his wild and reckless course had led him but no conjecture on his part furnished him with any clue to solve the mystery of his present whereabouts he knew that he must be somewhere in the eastern district of the metropolis but in what precise spot it was impossible for him to tell. While he was thus lost in vain endeavor to unravel the tangled topographical skein which perplexed his imagination, he heard footsteps advancing along the street. By the light of the lamp he soon distinguished a policeman, walking with slow and measured steps along his beat. "'Will you have the kindness to tell me where I am?' said Richard, accosting the officer." I have lost my way. What neighborhood is this? Ratcliffe Highway, answered the policeman. In the middle of Wapping, you know. In the midst of Wapping, ejaculated Markham, in a tone of surprise and vexation. And truly enough, there he was in the center of that immense assemblage of dangerous streets, cut-throat lanes and filthy alleys, which swarm with crimps ever ready to entrap the reckless and generous-hearted sailor, publicans who farm the unloading of the colliers, and compel those whom they employ to take out half their wages in vile, adulterated beer, and poor half starved coal movers whose existence alternates between crushing toil and killing intoxication. It was in this neighborhood that Richard Markham now was. Heaven alone can tell what torturous path and circuitous routes he had been pursuing during the hour of his precipitate flight but his feet must have passed over many miles of ground from the instant that he emerged from the murderer's den until he sank exhausted on the steps of a house in Ratcliffe Highway. He was wet and covered with mud and very cold, but he suddenly remembered that there was a duty which he owed to society, an imperative duty which he dared not neglect. He was impressed with the idea that Providence had that night favored his escape from the jaws of death in order that he might become the means of rooting up a den of horrors. There was not a moment to be lost. The three miscreants, unconscious of peril, had repaired to Shoreditch Church to exercise the least terrible portion of their avocations in that sacred edifice. It might yet be time to secure them there. The policeman was still standing near him. "'Which is the way to the station-house?' suddenly exclaimed Markham. I have matters of the deepest importance to communicate to the police. I can place them upon the scent of three miscreants, three demons in human form. "'And how came you to know about them?' asked the officer. "'Oh, it is too long to tell you now. We shall only be wasting time, and the villains may escape,' cried Richard, in a tone of excitement and with a wildness of manner which induced the officer to fancy that his brain was turned." "'Well, come along with me,' said the policeman, "'and you can tell all you know to the superintendent.' Markham signified his readiness to accompany the officer, and they proceeded to the station-house in the neighborhood. There Richard was introduced to the superintendent. "'I have this night,' said the young man, "'escaped from the most fearful perils. "'I was proceeding along a dark, narrow, and dirty street "'somewhere in the neighborhood of Shoreditch Church "'when I was knocked down,' and carried into a house where murder—yes, murder, added Markham, in a tone of fearful excitement—seems to be committed wholesale. At this moment there is a corpse, the corpse of some unfortunate man who has been assassinated in a most inhuman manner, lying stretched out in that house. I could tell you how the miscreants who frequent that den dispose of their victims, how they pounce upon those who pass their door and drag them into that human slaughterhouse— and how they make away with them. I could tell you horrors which would make your hair stand on end, but we should lose time, for you may yet capture the three wretches whose crimes have been this night so providentially revealed to me. And where can we capture these men, inquired the superintendent, surveying Markham from head to foot in a strange manner. They are at this moment at Shoreditch Church, returned the young man, "'and they are engaged in exhuming a corpse for a surgeon "'whom they were to meet at half-past one "'at the back of the burial-ground. "'And it is now three o'clock,' said the superintendent. "'I dare say they have got over their business by this time. "'You had much better sit down here by the fire and rest yourself, "'and when it is daylight someone shall see you home to your friends.' "'Sit here tranquilly. "'When justice claims it's due,' ejaculated Markham. "'Impossible.' "'If you will not second my endeavors to expose a most appalling system of wholesale murder—' "'My dear sir,' interrupted the superintendent, "'do compose yourself, and get such horrid thoughts out of your head. "'Come, be reasonable. "'This is London, you know, and it is impossible that the things you have described "'could be committed in so populous a city.' "'I tell you that every word I have uttered is the strict truth,' cried Markham emphatically." "'And how came you to escape from such a place?' demanded the superintendent. "'The villain who attacked me thought me dead. "'He fancied that I was killed by the blow. "'But it had only stunned me for a few moments.' "'Just now there were three murderers,' whispered one policeman to another. "'Now there is only one. "'He is mad as a march hare.' "'Then I was decoyed into a deep pit,' continued Markham, "'and I escaped through an aperture opening into another pit.' with stone steps to it, in the next house. The two policemen turned round to conceal their inclination to laugh, and the superintendent could scarcely maintain a serious countenance. "'And now you will come with me to Shoreditch Church and capture the villains?' cried Markham. "'We had better wait till morning. Pray sit down and compose yourself. You are wet and covered with mud. You have evidently been walking a great distance. Oh!' Now I understand the cause of your hesitation, ejaculated Markham. You do not believe me. You fancy that I am laboring under a delusion. I conjure you not to suffer justice to be defeated by that idea. The tale is strange, and I myself, had it been communicated to me as it now is to you, should look upon it as improbable. No doubt, too, my appearance is strange, and my manner may be excited, and my tone wild. But I swear to you by the great God who hears us, "'that I am sane, in the possession of my reason, "'although heaven knows I have this night "'passed through enough to unhinge the strongest intellects. "'Can you lead us to the house "'where you allege that these enormities are committed?' "'demanded the superintendent, "'moved by the solemnity and rationality "'with which Markham had uttered this last appeal to him. "'No, I cannot,' was the reply. "'I had lost my way amongst those streets "'with which I was totally unacquainted. "'The night was dark, dark as it is now, and therefore I could not guide you to that den of such black atrocities. But, I repeat, the murderers left that house a little after one to commit a deed of sacrilege in Shoreditch Church. You say that it is now three. Perhaps their resurrection labors are not terminated yet, and you might then capture them in the midst of their unholy pursuits. And if we do not find that Shoreditch Church has been broken open, said the superintendent, you will admit? Admit that I am mad? that i have deceived you that i deserve to be consigned to a lunatic asylum exclaimed markham in a tone which inspired the superintendent with confidence that officer accordingly gave instructions to four constables to accompany markham to Shortage church the little party proceeded thither with all possible expedition but the clock struck four just as they reached the point of destination they hastily scaled the railings around the burial ground and proceeded to the very door from which the body-snatchers had emerged an hour previously. One of the policemen tried the door, and it immediately yielded to his touch. At the same moment his foot struck against something upon the top step. He picked it up. It was a padlock with a semicircular bolt sawed through. The policeman and Markham entered the church, and the former commenced a strict search by means of their bull's-eye lanterns there's no doubt that the gentleman was right and all he said was true observed one of the officers but the birds have flown that's clear well they must have done their work pretty cleverly if they haven't left a trace said another i have heard it stated remarked richard that resurrection men are so expert at their calling that they can defy the most acute eye to discover the spot upon such they have been operating Well." If we don't find out which vault they have opened, it's no matter. We have seen enough to convince us that you were right, sir, in all you told us. And as the body-snatchers are not here, added another police officer, we had better get back as quick as we can and report the churches having been broken open to our superintendent. And I will return with you, said Markham. From when it is light, I may perhaps be enabled to conduct you to within a short distance of the street, even if not into that very street itself where the den is situated which those monsters frequent or inhabit the officers and richard accordingly returned to the station-house whence they came and as soon as the superintendent heard that the church had really been broken open he apologized to markham for his former incredulity you will however admit sir said this functionary that your narrative was calculated to excite strange suspicions relative to the condition of the intellects of the person who told it. "'I presume you fancied that I escaped from a madhouse,' observed Markham. "'To tell you the truth, I did,' answered the superintendent. "'You were in such a dreadful condition, and that reminds me that you were all wet and covered with mud. Please step into my private room, and you will find everything necessary to make you clean and comfortable.'" Day dawned shortly after seven, and at that time might be seen Richard Markham accompanied by an officer in plain clothes and followed by others at a distance, threading the streets and alleys in the neighborhood of the birdcage walk. The sun rose upon that labyrinth of close, narrow, sad, wretched thoroughfares, and irradiated those sinks of misery and crime as well as the regal palace and the lordly mansion at the opposite end of London. But the search after the house in which Markham had witnessed such horrors and endured such intense mental agony on the preceding night was as vain and fruitless as if its existence were but a dream. There was not a street which Markham could remember having passed through. There was not a house to which even his suspicions attached. And yet, maybe, he and his official companions proceeded up the very street and went by the door of the very house which they sought. After a useless search throughout that neighborhood for nearly four hours, Markham declared that he was completely at fault. The police accordingly abandoned any further proceedings on that occasion. It was, however, agreed between them and Markham that the strictest secrecy should be preserved relative to the entire business, in order that the measures to be subsequently adopted with a view to discover the den of the murderers might not be defeated by the tattle of busy tongues." End of chapter 45. Recorded by Emily Wallace.